0: Welcome back to the Casual Tuesdays Book Club. This week I'm talking about Mary Gateskill's story, Something Better Than This. Found it online at fictionnaught.com. It's like fiction and not from astronaut, but only one n. Anyway, and the author again is Mary Gateskill. That's G A I T S K I L L. All right, let's get started. The first thing I noticed when reading this story is the descriptions, and specifically how Gateskill made everything really gross. Okay, so here's, I'm gonna start with just a short list of my favorite gross descriptions. And okay, and then I'll get into some more advanced stuff. Just to prove that this was gross if you didn't get it. crusty sidewalk, there's the bowels of the subways, and a mayonnaise voice, and All these things I think are generally agreeably disgusting but they aren't my favorite gross uh, description. The distinction for that goes to the sky congealing and I like this for two reasons. One, it's a highly descriptive verb so instead of relying on adjectives, Gates' skill is getting some of her point across with a verb and that's really nice. Uh, It's more efficient and I think it's cool. Uh, The second reason is it's so unusual to use congeal in that way. I've never heard anyone talk about the sky congealing. Um, but I know exactly what she means with this description. So it's just really excellent word choice. And I think it's still gross because things congealing is almost never a pleasant, <laughs> pleasant occurrence. Um, Anyway, my first impression of the story was how gross everything is. But after a second read, I realized that there are other descriptive themes in there. Uh, And one is about uh, the mechanization of life. So Andrew has these kilowatt eyes. And at one point, Susan, her arms move like a vending machine. And I think these machine-like qualities, these kind of robotic qualities don't negate the grossness but they kind of instead work with it by pushing it away from humanity and it has the grossness has this very surreal feel to it. Uh, Building off that there's some more descriptions of surrealism are like the cops floating by in their car uh, and the kids like fungi near Mr. Submarine and which kind of have this twisted Alice in Wonderland feel to them. Similarly, my favorite description of the entire story, I think, is this kind of surrealist thing, and that is, there's a boy with, quote, a face hanging from his hair, end quote. And I think this is just really cool inversion, because usually you'd say hair hanging off the face or something like that. Um, But this inversion, it reduces the value of the face and makes it so that the person is less important. Um, And it's this kind of surrealist impression, um, and I just really, really love it. But alas, I have one description that I think is symbolic of the whole story, Um, and that is that the, you know, the jewelry is cheap, um, and it will leave that, quote, familiar green stain on the skin, end quote. And green stain is bad and gross, um, but it's the familiarity, that, that aspect, the familiar green stain, which makes it so compelling, because... From that description, we know that Susan is accustomed to, and maybe even comforted by, this like, general shittiness. Another thing in this story that I found really interesting was how the narrator's voice changed over the course of the story. In the opening sequence, it's really cinematic, and the narrator is this kind of distant third person, and just gives us a rundown of the setting as He or she is panning over the street doesn't gender doesn't even really matter anyway The descriptions are kind of loaded to make the Raider the reader the Raider the reader see how disgusting it is But otherwise there isn't really it's not attached to any perspective then enter Susan um, and The narration zooms in on her and this is where I think it gets interesting because although the narration stays in third-person Susan is always referred to as Susan Susan's voice starts to blend its way into the narrative. And the, there was an obvious kind of transition note in paragraph three. Towards the beginning, it says the two, uh, the two jewelry cases are, quote, apparently very heavy judging from the way she's bent, end quote, which indicates that someone is watching her and being like, damn, that looks difficult. <laughs> uh, and the, narr- the narrator being that person. And then towards the end of the same paragraph, it says, quote, the damn things are heavy, end quote. And so here, we've learned this fact about them from that we could only know if we had Susan's experience. Um, The second part is also a a parenthetical, and I'm going to get to parentheticals later. Um, Anyway, another case of Susan taking over the narrative, you know, it comes more and more later. um, And you can see it with these interjections. Um, And the narration starts to blend. At one point, the narrator injects God, as. God spelled G-A-W-D with an exclamation mark. So I would say God. Um, (laughs) This Anyway, this is followed rather quickly by God, G-O-D, in another sentence. And I think this difference is supposed to stand out because it's supposed to be a little jarring because then as readers, what we can see that we're getting is Susan's thoughts without any you know dialogue marker like quotation marks or something like she thought god um so instead we just have these little pieces uh, that are stuck p- that really you know they're not a part of the original narrative voice um this kind of objective third person narrative but they're kind of, they're getting these little snippets that are stuck in the middle of it without any demarcation Another good way to recognize this is if you look at some of the cadence in vocabulary. So at one point, the narrator says, um, or it, within the narration, it says, quote, people full grown ask these things, uh, ask if these things really work, end quote. And this isn't the same voice a- as the narrator that uses words like adenoidal and cretinous. So this is, this is Susan, basically. And The narrator, you know, the use of the appositive, saying people and then full grown, uh, this is like exactly how people complain about work to their friends when they want to emphasize how ridiculous or audacious a customer is. They restate these things, these facts, so that, you know, it kind of builds it up more. Basically, Susan is being quoted without being quoted. So her opinions are being presented as narrative facts. Personally, I really like it when the narration acquires some of the ideas and speech patterns uh, of a focal character, because I think it's a really cool way to reveal character and to get a feel for that character in kind of an indirect way, and Gateskill does a great job of it in this story. Something I really liked about this story that was cool and kind of new for me was to read about Susan being a woman on the street and being gawked at. Uh, not in that I enjoyed it, um, and that it's just, I've read other stuff with similar plots, but Gateskill really brings the, ho- the point home with his, like, visceral shittiness of this experience, and part of that is just, you know, she has this entire setting that's disgusting, this kind of entire ambiance, but then this whole interaction with Andrew, and no matter how well-intentioned or nice he might have been, it was just horrible to experience, and, um, you know, it was Great writing and interesting to read, but you just ah, oh, so visceral. And then Gatesgo also puts this kind of seed sex into everything. So there's the girls who groped the jewelry and the boys who are just totally indiscreetly just sexualizing her. Um, and they're kind of described almost as these like subhumans to match. And the you know the title appears in the text several times, but the first time it does, it's right after she's catcalled, and the story ends with that. Awful kiss from andrew, and it's just so disgusting um, And I just think it was cool for me as a reader Because uh, I've never had any writing translate that experience into such a visceral punch uh, And it was just very cool for me Okay, lastly, I've got some miscellaneous bits that I'm just gonna kind of jumble together because I didn't feel like making them separate sections Okay, first it's crazy that, to me, uh, there's a crazy timeline to it. So, Gateskill devotes a lot of time to Susan setting up and Susan talking to Andrew, but the whole daytime passes very quickly. It's almost just kind of like, oh, it's, she's setting up and it's sunrise and she moves like a robot a little bit and then it's dinner and then there's Andrew. Um, and I think, to me, there's this school of thought in writing that anything that isn't vital... Like Directly vital should be cut and it seems like that's what Gateskill was going for But I kind of wish there had been a little bit more transition to smooth out the passage of time because it was kind of jarring although maybe she wanted to be and You know that could be part of this whole surrealist thing I just kind of wish there was another sentence in there uh, just because you could do it with I think one you know one sentence could kind of smooth that out a little bit more anyway second Gatescale uses parentheticals in a really in just cool, interesting ways. First time she uses it for the message for the massage parlor um, to show what could be maybe like what the neon signs or the advertisements say or just kind of general taglines or the ambiance of it. Uh, I think this is cool because it concisely delivers the, the audience what I'm pretty sure is a self, you know, self-described attribute for the parlor. It's kind of a cool show don't tell thing. And part of that, the misspelling helps, says a lot. Uh, um, I really hope that the parlor didn't put girls in U with the U in neon, because it's just horribly upsetting to me. Um, but the way she adds it in there, it's, I think it's really cool, because it's a very concise way of delivering this little punch. Anyway, the next time uh, Gateskill uses a parenthetical, it's to relate Susan's thoughts here, and this is what I was talking about before. Um, it seems kind of like a bridge for Susan before Susan's thoughts are fully integrated into the narration because it's about her saying that the the jewelry cases are heavy um, before it's fully integrated without any demarcation. It's in a parenthetical, and I just thought it was interesting to use parentheticals for these different things sometimes. Some authors use them like, oh, this is going to kind of zoom out and it's going to be author's notes or like little details here and there. But it, she kind of used them in two very different ways. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting, uh, especially because I usually avoid parentheses. I think they interrupt the flow too much. I'm much more of a dashes guy because I think it reads better on paper. It's it's smoother. But um, yeah, I thought it was, it was cool and I like talking about punctuation. So whatever. Anyway, uh, last thing that uh, I really liked that she mentions Here Comes My Baby uh, by Cat Stevens. She doesn't say it's by Cat Stevens. She just says Here Comes My Baby. Um, but a couple things. One is that was the only thing I could really discern providing an anchor for uh, timing. And um, But interestingly, you have to know the song to know that. Um, and if you know the song, also, uh, it provides this other layer of kind of how creepy, uh, well, uh, men, men are, how creepy men are. Um, so uh, those unfamiliar with the song, it's really upbeat and the, it's about this, this singer is kind of, uh, you know, his girl's with another man. Here comes my baby, uh, with another guy, blah, blah. blah. Anyway. I always gave Cat Stevens the benefit of the doubt because he, like, really does seem like a very genuinely nice and good person, turned away from fame, and Peace Train is such an amazing song. It's loads of amazing songs. And so I used to hear this song as a song about a guy who wishes he was dating this woman. But in the context, you know, in this context, in this short story, and the cops are playing it too, which is uh, a little extra dig, uh, the use of the possessive My Baby seems super creepy uh to say something that's yours without them having a say that's so weird and then Q Andrew being a creep later on he thinks of this like cosmic connection with their birthdays but ugh it's gross and then oh man so I thought and just the juxtaposition between the upbeat song and the fact that the cops are playing it and all the grossness around is, uh, I think is really cool. Also, take care of the musical credits right away. Here Comes My Baby by Cat Stevens this is the song I used during the intro and during the impending uh, conclusion. Okay. All right, thanks for tuning in this week. Next week will be, ooh, this is a good one, James Baldwin's Going to Meet the Man, which, like all the episodes this year, is online. So thanks again for tuning in, and here is more from Cat Stevens. <laughs>
1: Here comes my baby Here she comes now Someday it's gonna stop You'll be mine to hold each day But till then this is all that I can say Here comes my baby Here she comes now And then come there's no surprise to me With another guy Here comes my baby Here she comes now i